1: Still, still my favorite music. I know. I say it every week. Uh, it's it's because we have the producer extraordinaire Sasha, who kind of this was her baby. She, she is really
2: it. good. She birthed it. Like I'm not
1: even saying. Like I mean, well, you have to you have to be careful because she can't take compliments. I
2: know, but I'm telling you, like working with you've worked with other producer people. Yeah, like it's not even
1: in the. Pretty sure we couldn't do what we do. That's Mike <laughs> Sauter. You know that voice. Uh, I'm Damon Benning. You guys can call me what you want. They call him Sauter normally. Whatever. Old DB, I'm, I'm DB, whatever other things
2: too by people that you know no. don't.
1: Welcome never. to this week's <laughs> version of Playing It Forward. And last week, uh, it was kind of just Mike and I, and we were talking off air, uh, or excuse me, off, I don't know, off script, of script rip, yeah. about what we kind of wanted to do. And we were thinking of this this father son angle and. Mm-hmm. You wanted to ask me all these questions about my dad, and then the we actual totally show happened, <laughs> and, and we talked about some other things. But it kind of was the the birthing of an idea about mm-hmm. legacies and who's doing what in the community, and and tough acts to follow. And we're thinking, oh my gosh, combos! I know you think combo guards. Yeah, I think combo <laughs> meals. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we thought, <laughs> uh, what do we got? And right off, bang, bang! We we thought Dotslers right yeah so we 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 we, we I about, just,
2: about as good as it gets
1: i just happened and you were there you're mm-hmm. kind of doing your own thing with pictures but i just happened to see them that night because we mm-hmm. shot on tuesday mm-hmm. i said hey you've been on the brain here would you guys be interested in doing our podcast so uh, as we welcome in for this week's podcast version we got ron totzler and josh who barely ever get a chance to get together. So maybe. <laughs> unless,
2: unless it's at Josiah's basketball game. <laughs> Right. When, so, when right. Then, then they have their whole like section of the bleachers. <laughs> the <tray. It's> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so maybe this week it's
1: not like we're we're not the tie that binds. We're the tithe <laughs> yes. that binds. Right. Yes. As, we, as we bring the two together. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you?
3: Great. Great to be with you. So this Doing is. Pr- good, man.
1: Th- this is pretty cool. Like I always. Sometimes you feel like. You know, you need a touch. You need somebody to kind of invest in you, pour in you, pour into you. And and this week, it's really easy because I have a feeling, a lot like last week, we'll leave this conversation either needing to be better, feeling better, or knowing how to be better. <laughs> or, run, or, or, or wanting to, like, run through a wall yeah. with motivation. Hence uh, so. h- the whole better together. So, Ron, we'll start with you. Like, I think a lot of people, they know, of you, we they talk to you a ton. They they see you in passing, and it's like, gosh, I feel like I've known him forever. But a lot of people don't really know the story, story behind how and why you do what you do. You want to start kind of giving us the Cliff Notes version uh, of Bad. the network and and kind of how it, how it came to be.
3: Yeah, no, hey, just uh, the whole sports thing is a great. Uh, way to connect with the city. Right. And uh, so I was known as Ron Dozler, pastor Dolzler, yeah. Uh and the organizer of abide and all that. And then Josh, come out on the scene in sports and then i became known as josh's dad <laughs> <laughs> so feel
0: free to call me josh's dad and, and now what are you known as super fan and now i'm josiah's yeah. brother yeah, all right. yeah,
1: that's that interesting too we'll get to that because i i i know you're kind of joking but it's weird yeah. how somebody yeah. that was so good at what people they don't do, even
2: rec- don't, they're like who's josh yeah they're like oh
1: yeah i'm like wait a minute that was the guy with right. like like a, oh yeah he was like a eighth, really good. grade <laughs> offer right yeah. like i i told a story the other day on the on the show somehow it came up about multi-sport athletes josh and i said you know what he was really good at so we mm-hmm. used this guy for like 3 or 4 weeks playing flag football and he was the best guy on the field. <laughs> it was it was a shame that basketball was the money maker but
0: man. Is that I, why you were holding me so much? This guy's too good. This guy's too good.
1: So, so Ron, let's go back to you. Kind of how did this yeah. whole idea of a bide and 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 being better together and My favorite line, perhaps, out of your seats and into the streets, where did that kind of start?
3: Yeah, so if you can imagine, I'm from rural Iowa, Defiance, a little population of 300 people, and I think I was related to most of them. <laughs> My wife is from D.C. area. <clears throat> She's African-American, and between us getting married and beginning to have 14 children, obviously, uh, we're leaving our legacy with these kids.
1: <laughs>
3: but uh, I, I, out of college, I was a chemical engineer for eight years. Mm Uh, but God had done a work in our heart to the degree that we wanted to do some kind of mission in a full-time way. So after eight years as a chemical engineer, uh, moved into North Omaha and we founded Abide. And that's been actually 33 years now, uh, that we started it. And it's really a grassroots kind of approach to revitalizing a community and having the community become part of the broader city. And so we've been doing that for 33 years. And uh, a good five plus years ago, Josh kind of stepped in and took over.
1: So it's interesting. I want to stay with this just for a second because, obviously, been been to been to your place many times. You've you've done a tremendous work. Uh, actually, both of you, um, and in my life, you guys were not only family friends, but uh, Ron, you did the counseling, uh, for my marriage. Josh was actually presided mm-hmm. as 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 the minister so it's weird i feel like we go way back yeah at what point do you think people thought okay chemical engineer small town iowa he's gonna move to north omaha they're they're gonna be in a renovated fire station uh, how does this whole thing work like <laughs> yeah. you kind of skipped a few of the major steps
3: <laughs> that's right well i uh, there's a there's a god <laughs> part of this story obviously where God intersected in our hearts in a very real way. I think generally speaking, most people really want to make a difference and they really want to give their life to something to really impact people around them. And for my wife and I having an encounter uh, with Christ, it radically changed us to think differently than just ourselves. I, in my first book, I, I refer to where we once lived as velveeta (laughs) If you're familiar with Velveeta cheese, it's processed cheese. Mm -hmm. And, and in a very real way, we were being processed by our culture. Our culture said, if you want to be successful, make this kind of money, live in these kind of houses, go on these kind of trips, et cetera, et cetera. And as a chemical engineer, I was very successful. But inside of me was this, this gnawing, this, this urging me to give my life to something more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so that was what led us to selling everything and moving into North Omaha, which we actually thought we were going to go overseas and do some work. Mm-hmm. But once we moved into North Omaha, it didn't take long before we realized, wow, there's plenty of need right here in our city. And so we began that work here in North Omaha. What you know, I for me, I, I my
2: first kind of interaction with Josh and and Ron, you was outside of basketball, right? Because I'd seen you guys forever doing that, <laughs> but uh, was this summer with the protest stuff and everything, and I yeah. it was a super hot day. I'll, I, I something I'll never forget. I I was told. <clears throat> told them like, Hey, 30th and names, you're going like, this is where you need to be. And like, I mean, that doesn't bother me be going to 30th and Ames, whatever. That's no big deal. But it was super hot. And you guys were just out there, um, praying and, and having just, a. it was, it was pretty neat to see you guys just kind of giving back or trying to give back. And the community should come together, uh, type of feel. I think that was even like on a Tuesday or Monday after, after the kind of hectic weekend. That for me was like, okay, wow, there's a bigger mission here. Um, What, what, what take me through, I I know I'm jumping years ahead, but take me through kind of that's this summer and, or the summer of 2020 and why, uh, and, and some of the things you guys maybe did or the impact um, that you guys had or what you maybe even learned from that.
0: Well, yeah, no, I, I'll just say, I'll, yeah, I'll start, and then you can feel free to jump in. I think number one, Mike, it was awesome to see you there. Yeah, and uh, to see you there, capturing it, and and being willing to uh, let the voices that were there be heard on a greater level. You know, you you talk about uh, my dad's story and all the steps that maybe he jumped through. I think last summer was a culmination of really what's happened over 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. And I think even in my dad, you know, he makes a radical decision. We all want to make a difference, but a lot of times we don't know how. And, And once you make that decision, you start to encounter people. And so, you know, last summer, I think about, I think the coolest thing for me was if you were there at that event on on the corner of 30th and Ames, which has been a pretty hot corner, Mm -hmm. about three blocks from where we grew up. But there's all these young African American leaders there sharing and speaking. Mm -hmm. And what most people don't know, one of the guys who who kind of, it was a a friend of mine, Myron Pierce, who was kind of one of the main leaders, he called me up probably a couple of days earlier and we both said, man, we got to do something. And we said, let's rally a bunch of leaders from the community. Let's let's make a statement. Let's take a stand. Let's talk about what we're for, not against. And so that's why we called it For North Omaha. Mm-hmm. But Myron came out of prison several years ago, over seven years ago, and my dad was the only person who would hire him. Mm-hmm. And so he worked with us. He kind of started the work that he's doing now as a part of our organization. And, and for me, when we were standing in the front speaking, there was all these African-American leaders and my dad was in the crowd
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my dad was really the reason that all of us were standing in that position. Mm-hmm. And it's because for years, I, I wouldn't say that he's always had the right like formula, but he's always tried to leverage his influence for the good of others. Mm-hmm. And whether it was for me, his son, whether it was for Myron who grew up in the community who didn't have chances. And so I think just as an organization, we've always just tried to find out how can we leverage the resources, the influence we have. And so this summer was a culmination of 30 plus years of trying to leverage those resources, trying to develop the community. And then just kind of being in a position that when this type of crisis starts to happen, it wasn't that we were we were uh, had to prepare ourselves for it. We were already in the middle of doing it, mm-hmm. and so I think there's just something about just continuing to put your best foot forward.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I always like perspectives, right? So, Ron goes from chemical engineer. He gets married. He can, he has this epiphany, kind of as God's kind of speaking to his heart on a radical change of direction. He's got one of this young man by the name of Josh Doetzler, who was a fantastic athlete in high school, uh, one of the earliest of the early offers to attend uh, the University of Creighton and play basketball. You have, I think sometimes people, when they see you, they're like, oh my gosh, he's so, there's this charisma and, and his glasses always half full. Your growth, pruning, and maturation has been nothing short of spectacular. We got to go back a little and talk about how you weaned off the court and stepped away from that arena and that a competition and that competition into the competition of life as it somehow managed to find a way to keep you fulfilled.
0: Yeah. Well, you use the word weaned. I can tell you there's nothing. It didn't feel like a weaning process. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think... I'm friends with a lot of guys who are playing professionally now, you know, at different levels. And one of the hardest transitions to make is when you're done with ball to transition into that next phase of life. Mm-hmm. And, and I could have never said this at the time, but you know, I go from having a, a good high school career and, and and I'll just say this, you know, this last weekend Bellevue West was playing uh, sunrise Christian yep. huge game and I think in the uh, information page, my name was mentioned by Coach Woodard. And uh, just those little things continue to give me a level of credibility among my family <laughs> when it comes to uh, history. But, like, you transition from that, you go, to, you go to college and having a good freshman year, and then I get hurt.
1: Yeah, PTL.
0: And, and up to me, I mean, this is the, the, the struggle and the challenge. That's the last thing I would want to happen. Mm. But I can tell you what it did is number one, it started to make my faith real. Mm. And it started to show me, you know, you can have all the people in the world, my parents and others telling me, man, basketball is going to end one day. It's going to end. Well, until it ends in my mind, it's never ending. Mm -hmm. And so the injury happens. and, And then I start to think about life differently. The next three years, the most challenging athletic years of my career. And so that really began the journey. I mean, when I was at my junior year of college, I go through the injury. I start thinking about life. My junior year, our neighbor who grew up across the street was gunned down on the corner of our block. And I remember being at his funeral and just being filled with emotion and starting to have questions go through my mind. You know, how could I be a part of the solution? How could his life have turned out differently? And, and those experiences started to fill me with a sense of I want to live with purpose. Mm -hmm. I want to be about something that's bigger than myself, but I'll be the first to tell you, Damon and Mike, I did not want to work with my parents. (laughs) I did not want to be a part of what they were doing. Not that it wasn't that I I respected what they were doing, but everything from just the grassroots nature of the organization, the scale of the organization. And then also I didn't want to live in North Omaha Mm -hmm. because the experiences I had more than anything filled me with a sense of fear Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be about something bigger than myself, but I did not want to come back and be a part of it right here. So what what changed? <laughs> I,
1: I so, right? It's a variety,
0: yeah, it's a variety of circumstances. 2009, I graduated. Mm. There was kind of the job freeze. And uh, I had some, some uh, professional teams overseas that wanted me to come try out. Man, I was taking medication every day just to stay on the court. Mm -hmm. And and I knew I probably wasn't going to go down that path. I had some job opportunities with some good companies, but there was kind of a job freeze. So they're like, hey, we'll come back to you in three to six months. And then my dad was like, hey, while you're figuring out life, I was married at the time, had been married for almost two years. Uh, He said, come serve with us until you figure out what you really want to do in life. And uh, my, my wife looks at the situation, and she she says that my parents set us up uh, from the beginning. <laughs> In my mind, we were just kind of taking the next step. I felt like, all right, we'll do this for a short period of time, and then we'll figure out what we really want to do. And, uh, you know, over 11 years later, we're still here. Now, yeah. now Rob, maybe this is
1: different because you have 14 examples of how to do it differently. But for me... <laughs> I, I there was a very fine line between what I wanted to pour into the kids, how much I wanted, you know, the 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 kids to be like me, to do what I do, to not do what I did. How hard was it for you to allow God to kind of speak through Josh and, and find his own path versus you wanting to be the overseer of and, and provider that that you you've kind of become known to be.
3: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think a lot of parents we hang on too long, don't we? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of leaders we hang on too long in our current uh, business or organizational environment. Um, and we don't transition quick enough. And so our organizations lag behind. Our parenting lags behind. Mm. And so I think I had good uh, examples in my own parents. <laughs> graduation night, my car was loaded up and I was headed to Omaha from Little Defiance. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty much a condition. You are out of here. Once you graduate, you're gone. <laughs> so I kind of carried that in with our kids. But I think if I look at parenting today, hey, he you, definitely did. I moved myself into the
0: dorms at crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All these parents were there, man, they dropped me off. I was on my own. <laughs> That's
3: right. So, so much of parenting today is about protecting our children instead of preparing our children. Mm. And I think I had some great examples of my own parents. And so in the preparation process, you got to think through that, mm. um, and so releasing your children is just one of the examples. Uh, I think that's difficult for parents, but um, by God's grace, I, we were able to do it, and maybe it's because we had so many kids at home. That, yeah, there was just another one leaving. It's <laughs> just like, how do you? I and, so,
2: I, <laughs> I was going to ask something, but I, hey, I, I'll,
0: I'll say th- I'll say this too. For me, probably the most powerful thing, I mean, our parents exposed us a ton. Mm-hmm. We lived in Mexico growing up. We would go on missions trips to Mexico. We went to schools. We lived in North Omaha, but we did life in Bellevue and in Westo. And so we were exposed to a lot. But the number one thing that always stood out to me about my, my mom and my dad was not necessarily the work they did specifically but the purpose they live with. Mm-hmm. And and there, there was nobody else. If there's one thing I knew when I was getting done with basketball, I wanted to live for a purpose bigger than myself and didn't know where that would be. But that model that they set before us and the way they live sacrificially was definitely a, a, a picture that caused me to want to say, man, this is what I want to live like. I think one of the
1: interesting things in talking to you guys is obviously we have a lot of folks that that utilize the podcast, men, women. Mm-hmm. the The irony, God's funny sense of humor, is you're you're talking to two guys in an audience who I think both Mike and I um, were married to people where sometimes I think gender roles can be reversed, right? Where <laughs> some of the qualities in, that are shared by the people that we We married are stereotypically or historically shared by males, but our wives tend to carry those roles. I think each of you can speak to that to some degree with the strengths in which your wives exude. Can you walk us through as listeners and note takers how you piecemeal together being dynamic leaders, but being the men that you've been called to be under your own roofs?
0: It's good. Yeah, I mean, I I think, again, for me, it starts with the model that my parents displayed. And and I think like on a team, everybody plays different roles. Mm. But in my parents, they were both equal. I mean, my mom, we were talking about this before (laughs) the podcast. She's 10 times tougher than my dad. She's
1: tough. There's no (laughs) doubt about it.
0: I tell people she probably taught me more basketball than my dad. Mm. She, she taught us how to play tackle football. Uh, She was up 5 a.m. in the morning and and doing her devotion and in the Bible and going to the YMCA and getting her workout in and then caring for us. And so I got to see a, a picture of uh, my parents who really did life together and loved each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so for me, again, I wanted to carry that into my marriage. And I married, you know, way up and uh, my wife is incredibly <laughs> bright and and. I mean, she's just amazing in so many different ways. And so I think just recognizing she makes me better. I make her better. We're a team. It's not one, you know, serving the other, but really our strengths together allow us to live out the purpose that we're called to. I have a question about
2: balance because yeah, like it, as far as balancing, being busy all the time, gone, and maybe this is for Ron, probably more, um, Parent like how how, how can you That's be a hard. good how can you be a good parent and be gone as much as and this is a personal question I, I you know I I'm like right I'm, there with you yeah believe me, I got my pen <laughs> I got my pen and how, paper how out, I, right how how do I not someone how do I parent better be a better husband and still put in the time that I think is necessary to grow a business while growing my personal relationships with my family or my wife?
3: Yeah, no, good question. I think I would rather use the word rhythm instead of balance Mm. because I find that when we think about our own unique calling in life and the very unique places that you're called to be and the things you're called to do, rhythm says my wife and I have to be on the same page. Mm. And like in our case, my wife and I, we love sports together. Mm -hmm. We love the mission that we're involved in North Omaha together. So our kids never were without us being together. And the integrity of our life was we were as joyful and as close uh, in the gym as we were in North Omaha on the streets. I don't That's know
1: that. So, Josh, go. Like, what? What? So, what? Yeah, this is in, this I've is important. This is why we wanted you guys right. because you're so dynamic and there's so much on your plate. There has to be some pruning.
0: Well, yeah, I think I think there is a a process of pruning. But number one, I, I've never seen a couple so joyful in the gym together, and uh, that is <laughs> like. Like for a date night, they go yep. to a basketball game. Yeah, right. I, I, right. I, I can, my I can relate. I, I found out real early on in our in our relationship and in our marriage that wasn't a date night. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I've never, Dang. I've never once been on a date night with my wife to a basketball game. Right, but <laughs> so you you have to figure out. There goes that your, your, your spouse and because because I do think even though you're called to a similar purpose you're definitely wired differently. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, for everybody's marriage, it looks different. Again, I, I, I think rhythms. I also think a couple other things. I think, I've, I heard this said before, the grander the vision, the greater the price tag. Mm-hmm. And so I think depending on the vision you're called to go after, you have to ask yourself the question. I mean, you hear Kobe Bryant talk about it all the time. The mentality that he lived with was different than those around him because he wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. So there is a price, but we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to sacrifice? And, and, and so for us, the model I've seen and and the way I live, man, I'm not sacrificing my marriage. I'm not sacrificing my wife at the expense of this vision. This vision is important. This is a man. We want to see incredible change transformation happen, but there are certain things that are going to be more important in our lives that are going to take our first focus. And then we're going to leave the rest of our focus for some of these other things. And, and I'll just say one more thing, Damon, I struggle. and This is a conversation my wife and I have because I read these stories about great leaders and great impact. And I also read and see the mistakes that they've made. And so I constantly ask myself, man, can you achieve greatness without sacrificing those things that are most important? And obviously I'm, I'm on the journey. I, I don't know. But I do know that there are things that are very important that <clears throat> have to take my first attention. But, man, I want to see some incredible impact happen, too. So, so listen,
1: I one of the things that I think has always captivated me about your family is I'm just not sure when you sleep. And <laughs> as a guy that thinks sleep is overrated, I definitely don't want to mistake activity for achievement. Right. So how yeah. do you – where are the checks and balances? You're so mm-hmm. integral in what's going on in the community. You mean so many things to so other people, but then there's this, wait a minute, we have home and our, and our families too, that has to be more towards balance than rhythm, does it not?
3: Well, rhythm in the sense that uh, you have alignment with your spouse. Uh, so I, I get the idea of balance and yeah, you can talk about balance that way. But when I think about, you know, the unique callings that we each have, the rhythm says that my life, it might look very different than yours, but the priorities are still the same. God is number one. My wife is number two, our children and family, number three, you, you kind of keep these, uh, you know, these things in proper alignment with your spouse then as far as the activity and how you live your life can look so different than other families. Uh, because I think, again, one of the problems is we can learn from other families, but we've got to be careful we don't compare ourselves. Right. Because God has a unique call for every one of us, mm. and that's why I like the word rhythm.
0: And, and I think part of it, the clearer you are on what you value the most and where your priorities are and the vision you're going after – the more you can build your life and your schedule around that. And so I think, of, I think of my parents, I mean, for years, my dad gets up early in the morning, takes Josiah now, used to be me and my, my, my brothers uh, and sisters, <laughs> but takes Josiah to the gym.
1: Yeah.
0: On the way to the gym is not wasted time. They're doing a devotional together. They're having intentional conversation. They go to the gym. They get up shots. Josiah goes to school. My dad goes home, sometimes goes and takes another sibling to another school where they're having intentional conversation, dialogue. And so I think everything in life can be done intentional when we have great clarity around what we value and and those priorities that we're trying to live with.
1: How much of that clarity, Ron, for you and Twani was built around being um, specific with the kids on what – your priorities were for them, right? Because with fourteen of you, there has to fill some. There has to be some. Well, it wasn't like that with us. Or what about me? Or you're doing that with them? There's there's going to be some of that. Did you kind of nip that in the bud with the clarity and the intentional messages of what the expectation levels were?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm wondering too. How did Josiah become <laughs> the favorite child? <guy? laughs>
1: Hey, I'm sensing a theme here. I, f- I think you feel some type of way, Josh.
0: <laughs> I think I'm repeating what most of the siblings would want to say right now. See, the man will pass from me to Josiah.
2: I'll just say that. Josiah is the youngest, right?
3: No. No, second. No, he's second yeah.
2: yeah, he's second.
3: Of 14, he's number 13.
2: Yeah. Oh. Jeez,
1: yeah. Sister. yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so that's why Josh is—he's like the
1: youngest, and so
2: he's the everyone, youngest. Yeah, I mean,
0: well, he has just... yeah. got the best jumper.
1: I'm still trying to yeah. figure out where that height came from because that happened in just a summer, right?
2: Yeah, and thirty pounds too. yeah. A yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, again, this conversation just shows parents are never correct. They never do the right thing. <laughs> so you have to live with a lot of humility.
1: <laughs> so this is interesting. So tomorrow – well, I guess it won't be for tomorrow, but on Wednesday show, I've got a guy, Andy Markowski. And Josh, you remember him? You guys both remember him. Basketball player, coach. And I remember talking to him one time about You know, – he's got multiple kids. They're really good at sports. His, his daughter is a phenom right now um, as yeah. a senior. And I asked him how they pick and choose games and what happens. And he's the only person – That I've ever heard say, hey, listen, the oldest has priority. The youngest knows that their time will come. That's kind of how we divvy up the games. And almost everybody I've asked, whether it's Crouch or Danny Noonan or or any of these guys that have kids, I'm like, can you believe that that flies in his house? And almost to a man or woman, they say, well, if that's the expectation level when they're kids – they almost don't know any better. How much of that? Right. How mm-hmm. much of that is what you're saying about being intentional and clear with the message?
0: Well, I just I'll say this: that I mean, even when I was coming up, one of the things that I loved by my parents, it wasn't about fairness. I mean, they tried to give everyone similar. well this may be important. Is, yeah. the The reality is is we had like three different families. You got the first five. You got the next. I don't know, it's five, six. You've got the last two. They parent the last two like grandparents. They parented the first five like drill sergeants. And so they go from drill sergeants to grandparents. And so, I mean, there's definitely some bitterness from some older siblings, but the reality is that's life. Uh, you yeah. learn, you grow, you change. You're Hopefully you're always getting better. And so I think they've constantly progressed to get better. But I remember when I was playing basketball at Creighton, they in one weekend, they went to 20 basketball games because my game was similar of similar importance to my siblings game who was in second grade Mm. and who was in high school. And, and so they've always made it a point to, they're going to be at everything they can. Now, if something comes up and they can't, they're out of town, but for the most part, they're always going to put the best foot forward in that season to let you know that they're there to support you and, and, and whether that's waking up early to take you to get extra shots in or that showing up at your game.
1: Guys, let me ask you this, because I think this has kind of been a reoccurring theme with good leaders that we've talked to up to this point, is this, uh, this idea of taking self-inventory and kind of being a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not necessarily innate. It's, in a, it's a learned behavior. When you're good at it, it's, it's very, very impressive. When it gets away from you, it can be awful detrimental. How do you guys on in an individual basis, each of you can, 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 can tell your tale about the constant evaluation of being a lifelong learner and taking self-inventory?
3: Yeah, I think uh, when I think about parenting and even some of the questions you asked earlier, I mean, you don't have all the answers. And so you're constantly learning from others. You're reading books. Uh, I would listen to podcasts and sermons. I mean, every day, two, three times, reading lots of books, reading lots of articles. You have to be that learner. I remember just watching my own kids, being a learner of my own kids, right? Uh, I remember watching my own kids. All of a sudden, they were turning about 10, 11, 12 years old. And I recognized that they didn't have a sense of direction in their life. And there was a defining moment for me because I also had some encounters in my community where people were trying to commit suicide or were actually murdered. And it really got me on this path of thinking about purpose. And and I remember my own kids all of a sudden beginning to realize, you know what, I've not set a tone of purpose in their life. I was just trying to raise nice, good little kids (laughs) now. I recognized, wow. And in that moment, I was beginning to recognize, no, I want to raise these radical world changers. I want to raise kids that can make a difference in a world that has a lot of challenges. And that defining moment got me on a course to begin to start speaking into my children and and exposing my children to the idea of purpose and what it means to live life on purpose. And then I think through parenting, you just come across certain arenas at certain points in your life where you say, you know what, I, I can do better. And you start speaking that into your kids.
1: It's good.
0: Josh? I, I think, too, just the power of sports. You know, when you're playing sports, you have a coach, you have people constantly giving you feedback, constantly challenging you to get, to get better. And uh, I think there's something about having other voices in your life, people that you respect, people that you look up to, that, that can speak into your life, that can tell you what you need to hear, that can challenge you. You know, I, I recently just joined a CrossFit gym and uh, for the last 10 years, I've been working out by myself and I go to the Y and, and I'm pretty self-motivated, but man, I can make it through a workout and I could still be yawning afterwards. I could, I could feel like I didn't really get it in, but since joining this gym, we've got a coach, we've got a community of people. And the way I'm challenged and encouraged to keep progressing really makes me want to continue to show up and get better. And so I think there's something about, too, having people in your life who challenge you, who coach you, and really call out the gold in who you can become. Yep, that's good. Josh,
1: before yep. we let you go, um, and Ron, this this father-son dynamic was really important to me. I, the, the ebb and flows, and, and and both of you are so dynamic and in your own unique ways. And Ron, I'll let you go first. And then Josh, you can close this out. How did you allow, you know, somebody that was growing up as and going to be a dynamic leader, Ron and Josh, to kind of carve his own way, give you some pushback, have some feedback. And Josh, how did you not succumb to the pressures to be – the son of somebody that has been so dynamic Mm -hmm. in the community.
3: I think as as someone who has led an organization for so long and then you have a young leader like Josh step in and then he's under your leadership for a period. Then you go through the transition. I tell people many times that Josh and I had these come to Jesus moments where we'd sit down and Josh would tell me what I was doing wrong as I turned the leadership over to him, for example, Mm. I was constantly trying to give him input in what I thought was good, right? (laughs) And I came to the revelation that leadership isn't necessarily bad or good. It's just different. And I realized that Josh has a different style of leadership and different things that he's going to bring to the table that I need to step aside and let Mm. it happen. Mm. And by stepping aside and letting it happen, I have to stop giving my input And giving my great advice, because honestly, (laughs) at the end of the day, it wasn't all that great. (laughs) But uh, I think stepping aside and recognizing it's not about bad or good. It's about different and to let uh, a different leader lead differently is actually a good thing.
0: So what are you really trying to say? <laughs>
3: I'm hey, uh, you, you, Josh, you,
0: you turned
1: out okay uh, outside of being defiant of what a natural leader wanted you to do. That's kind of what I got out of that.
3: That's well, right, I, that's a good way to I, say it.
0: Saying, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. I never felt pressured to become like my dad
2: hmm.
0: or even pressured to take over the organization. And I I felt like my journey of really discovering who I was and discovering my purpose was encouraged, but not pushed or pressured. I think two other things that I think about that that were pretty significant is, number one, I always knew I was different than my dad. Mm. I Mm. never had a problem from day one saying, man, we are different. (laughs) (laughs) Even in even in basketball, both my parents played in college. I played more like my mom than my dad. Mm -hmm. And so just, there was a very clear reality that, man, we're going to lead different. And so we would have these conversations and and we would, we disagree a lot in a very healthy way. Mm -hmm. But the other side to that is there's nobody who's been a greater cheerleader for my success than my dad. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and to be honest with you, he put me in positions to lead when I shouldn't even have been in that position. He put me in positions to speak and to share and to honestly, to be in a position I wasn't ready for, but that process of, of putting me in that position also caused me to rise to the level of the challenge that was in front of me. But I can tell you, there's nothing better than doing that. Feeling inadequate, speaking in front of hundreds and thousands of people and the person who's cheering you on the loudest who you can hear is your dad sitting in the front row. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so the combination of those things, and, and don't get me wrong, there's many times I wanted to give up and go in a different direction, but the combination of those things have helped carry us and carry me this far on this, this journey mm-hmm.
2: What's- Ron, maybe this is for you, real quick. And this is something I've, I think I've asked everyone, every guest we've had on and, and leaders, right? Because I think it's important to learn. What's maybe the, the, the biggest, not biggest, but one fa- failure that you learned from the most? Mm, wow.
3: Oh, my goodness. That's a. I mean, I can awesome. answer that for him. <laughs> <laughs> on, he's got 10 of them. <laughs> yeah.
2: Where do we start? <laughs> 13 you other know, kids. No, I'm just
3: <laughs> As much as I believe in people, mm. I think uh, what, what a leader tends to do is uh, becomes large and in charge and does everything. And so if I were to go back over the years, I've raised up a lot of young leaders mm-hmm. um, and I would have probably just released them a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. I would have allowed them to take more lead a lot earlier than kind of being large and in charge myself. Well,
1: that's tough because yeah. you can't unknow what you know. And if you've been successful, right. see, that's such a fine line, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you're obviously good at what you do. So, to let go and let it and and go, you know, other people that, are going to like yeah. that has to be difficult.
0: And, and he lets go faster than any leader I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's, it's literally, seriously, it's been one of the biggest strengths, mm. but it can also be a challenge sometimes when people aren't ready. Aren't I'll say this about him he's grown significantly. And this is an area I think I've grown to, and one of the biggest mistakes is just on the compassion side Yeah. as a leader. Sometimes you have this vision and you just want to go after it and you don't have a lot of empathy. You don't have a lot of compassion. You don't have a lot of care for people. And, and the way he's grown in that area, I'd say for myself in the last 10, 11 years, my wife would say, our team would say, yeah. just caring for the people in front of you, your team, your loved ones, your community, not just getting so caught up in the big vision to build Uh, fitness centers and gymnasiums and all this stuff. I think it's something that we've all learned a ton, which is help us connect more and just live with a sense of care for those that we're serving. Hey, before
1: we let you go, you got to talk about that vision and see who those that are listening can help out. What everybody uses um, that, that abide facility. You got a great location over there on 45th. I know you guys aren't done yet. It is not a finished product. Uh, What's the thumbnail sketch of what you'd like to see happen over the next couple of years,
0: yeah, I mean we've we've been on a campus for the last four and a half years. It used to be the uh, Nebraska School for the Deaf. It's about twenty four acres, twelve buildings, gymnasium, uh, which gets used all the time. We're in the process. We just filled in a swimming pool. We'll have a four thousand square foot a fitness center with just state-of-the-art fitness equipment. And then we want to build a gymnasium with three to four full-size basketball courts. And, uh, the, the, the heart behind that is this, our community North Omaha doesn't have those resources. And so the best and the brightest have to go outside of the community to get access to those, to get developed. And uh, our heart is to really, uh, highlight the beauty of our community, mm-hmm. which is the people, and give them access to the resources to help them reach their full God-given potential. And so those are a few of the projects. Uh, I'm actually uh, just started some conversations with like uh, Creighton and others trying to get a, a library, a leadership slash presidential library on the campus, Mm. trying to create a culture where learning, we're growing, where health and wellness becomes a part of our community in ways that right now it's not
1: when right, we can we can reach you at the abide Network.org, correct yes sir any yeah. other way
0: any anything else
1: that we need to know about how to be I almost want to say more like you guys but I know <laughs> yeah. you, I know that's oh. not what you want me to say <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not really what I mean but it is what I mean right? right I mean you as you guys have coined we're better together
0: yep I mean we think everyone has something to give yeah everyone has influence and everyone can use that influence to impact the world around them and so we would say get in the game be the game changer that you are whether it's through abide whether it's through other organizations whether it's through the one person that's sitting right next to you taking them to practice investing in their life you never know what investment in one person can do i mean i love you guys using this platform yeah to even allow us to share it. and mike I know, again, when you came down to the Fort North Omaha event and you've said, man, when you guys have other stuff, I'd love to to put it out there. You guys have influence in a certain way that we don't, and every time you use it, it makes our city and our community better.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's good. Fluorescent green light, man. We appreciate you guys (laughs) giving us the time. I know you don't have a ton of it.
0: Appreciate you guys, man. Good to be with you. Hey, thanks, Thanks. Josh. Thanks,
1: Ron. Bye. We'll see you. That is – you're going to have to listen to that a couple of times, probably a lot in there. <laughs> uh, they, they are, they're so good and have had so much impact in, uh, not only on me, but our family. And you talk mm-hmm. about modeled behavior and just not afraid to, to tell you the good, the bad, the mistakes, uh, allow you to take some self inventory and, and selfishly. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I compare a lot of what, you know, Ron is doing in the community with my dad and, Right. And Josh and I have some similar personality traits. Mm-hmm. And there's a little pushback. And I, I, they're just, just folks that I admire that um, I think we can all learn a lot from.
2: Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> like I said, I'm going to go back and I'm going <laughs> to listen to that probably about three or four times. Yeah. The
1: parenting part is well, hard for me. It's tough. Like, I watch them in public. There's Right. Uh, they're so good and diligent. Just like... Yeah. But, but you know what's important? And I just want to tell you this to encourage you. Don't be discouraged that you're not like that yet. No, yeah. because I I, mean, I, think I don't think people, I'll ever I, get there. I think some <laughs> pe- I think some people watch them and they're like, oh man, we'll never get there. Right. But every, like they had to start someplace too, right? I mean, right. But but I will tell you this. Hang around them as much as you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week. That's Mike Sauter, that's the Doatslers. Thanks for being with us. It's Playing It Forward.
2: A Media Production.